The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockio Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. In studio right now is Chris Bolliard from Bolliard's Meat and Provisions. Chris, glad to have you here this morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know... When I go to the store over in Maplewood, I, I'm just amazed at what you guys do over there. And we're going to talk about kind of your your background because I know that I, I love this this statement that you have. I'm a meat geek. Yeah, <laughs> you you love that. That's been a, a big part of your life, and you are a great chef. So we'll talk about that too. But what's this whole thing that that goes on with with pork and beef and lamb that that really gets you going? Um, I just like all the, uh, you know, the, the versatility that, that they all have, you know, aside from just the obvious fresh cuts everybody's familiar with, or they've seen in the grocery store, you know, the, uh, the pig, especially it's a, it's a magical animal. You know, you can do so many things with it. Every single part of it is usable. And I've just over the years grown to love and appreciate utilizing the whole thing and there's you know the sky's the limit it's i'm still learning all the time you know that's another thing that's exciting about it to me is there's always new things to try or do or you know uh you know a recipe or something that i've never heard of you know things like that it's it's always it's always kind of evolving for us and you're experimenting along with flavors and things like that to see what comes out absolutely so so take us back when when did you first have an inclination that you were going to be a chef i knew I do pretty, pretty young right away. I, you know, I, from the time I was old enough to work, even before I was old enough to work, I was working in restaurants and, um, you know, I was always kind of gravitated towards the kitchen and, and, um, was curious about it in high school. I made the decision, you know, I was going to go to culinary school and pretty much went right out of high school. I graduated high school in 98 in June of 98 and then went to uh, the Culinary Institute of America in uh, the fall of 98 and it was a two-year program and uh, came back and just got to work the, the, the CIA yeah the Culinary Institute <laughs> of America yeah yeah why there why not uh, Le Cordon Bleu uh, or some other place well the, really at the time uh, there really wasn't any other programs aside from Forest Park and just did a little research and found that this was one of the best schools at the time um, in the country and had a very good track record and, mm-hmm. you know, rich history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an excuse for a young kid to get out of town, too. Right, so right. I said, let's let's do it. Because you're a hometown guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm uh, born and raised in St. Louis. I grew up in St. Charles. Oh, so we, can, we can't ask what high school you went to, can't we? You can. Can we? Okay. <laughs> he may not answer. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I went to I went to St. Charles High. Okay, that's yeah. all right. So you know what's nice about that is that there are a few chefs that are actually born and raised here, mm-hmm. but a lot of the chefs they're transplants. Yeah, either came up from New Orleans or you know. Yeah, there's a good mix in St. Louis. You know, it's a melting pot. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of talent in St. Louis. Um, it's a great food scene. It so really you came is. back from the CIA, not. Not that CIA, right? The right. Culinary Institute of America, yeah. and you came back to St. Louis. I did, yeah. And started working where? Um, so I came back to St. Louis and started working at Cardwell's in Frontenac, and I was there for about three and a half years. And then I um, I met Kevin Nashin, and he at the time was 
I think he was a sous chef at Harvest Restaurant, and he was in the process of acquiring Sydney Street Cafe, and we were kind of introduced to each other through a mutual friend and did some catering and just kind of hit it off. Um, and I, I joined his crew about six months after he bought Sydney Street, so that would that would be about 2000 and 2004, like the spring of 2004, I think. And I spent about 10 and a half years there with Kevin and really wow. just kind of uh, launched my, you know, my culinary, my professional culinary career for sure. You know, he, uh, he was a, a huge mentor to me and uh, it was pretty cool to be part of an evolution at, at a restaurant like that, you know, because it was already an established place, been around for a long time, a good, you know, good following and, you know, pretty busy restaurant and so he didn't want to change everything overnight and upset the regulars and you know scare everybody off and especially the staff too because the staff has there's still some staff that's there wow. still you know for wow. 25 plus years it's so it was a slow evolution changing the food i mean uh just if you look back at what the menu and food looked like when he bought it up till now it's just completely different it's uh, it was really cool to be a part of that it was you know i learned a ton in the process you know about halfway through my time there we started messing around with whole animals we would get whole hogs you know whole fish lamb goat and um we didn't know much about it at the time so there's a lot of trial and error and a lot of a lot of mistakes made but you know, eventually we worked our way around whole animals and, and were able to utilize the whole thing, and and that that created um, a charcuterie program to utilize extras and trimmings and things like that. Um, and that was a, a very fun process for me as well. That was, I kind of fell in love with that aspect of it, you know, next next to the cooking side of things. And I think that that sparked my interest in opening up a shop, you know. A butcher shop as opposed to a restaurant because the restaurant dream was for sure the first you know the beginnings of you know my uh my plans you know and that kind of changed into bolliards that's interesting but it also gives you an opportunity to really not that you couldn't have an, a family being a chef but you have what i would call maybe more normal hours yeah absolutely you know uh, that was like you said it was a one of the big deciding factors in our decision making for opening up Bollier's, you know, A, it's it's more conducive to a family lifestyle, and B, it was something that St. Louis needed and was ready for. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so now we have we have a, a six year old and a three year old, and we have one on the way, and so uh, it's been it's enabled us to spend time together. You know, in the beginning, it was it was definitely a lot of hours and. Um, uh, I was there constantly just to kind of set the tone and, and find our find our rhythm and, and get things figured out. But, right. but, you know, now we've been open for about four and a half years and I have an amazing crew that I trust and I don't have to spend every waking moment there. You know, it's it's uh, great because I get to spend time with my, my wife and kids. Yeah, and, good. Oh, I was going to say, and, you know, I was perusing your, your website because I have to admit that I am kind of like Carrie, more like a pescatarian, yeah. okay? I haven't I haven't actually eaten meat in almost 40 years. Yeah. But what did interest me about your website is that you have bone broth. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people aren't familiar with and yeah. the the health benefits right, right. of bone broth. I mean, when you go in the stores, you look at it and it costs a fortune. Mm-hmm. But right right there, there it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's something that we uh, we wanted to offer right off the get go. I mean, it made made sense for a whole animal shop like ourselves right. to utilize all the bones, and you know, that's the whole idea is to to not let anything go to waste out of respect and not, and also from a you know business standpoint. And um, so we started making stocks and broths. And you know, I always tell people there's some confusion between what the difference is in a stock and a broth. So all the stocks start out as roasted bones and water so we have chicken bones beef bones pork bones lamb bones and uh, we roast those off add some water and they slow cook for about 24 hours to make sure that we get all the nutritional value and flavor out of them and so after that time you have a stock and that's that's a base for um, you know any number of things you know soups sauces Mm -hmm. so on but then we take some of that stock and we season it further with salt aromatics, herbs, spices, things of that nature, and it's considered a broth. And that's what people are drinking, and you'll see you'll see bone broths in the store for for its health benefits. That's right. And it's it's really it's really caught on, you know, in the last few years. I, I think it was it was already catching on in the east and west coast. There's places that were doing it and there's mm-hmm. are now like very successful businesses doing it. <clears throat> I mean, I've seen it myself whether it's um, you know the benefits, whether it's for boosting your immune system. It's uh, th- there's a lot of collagen mm-hmm. in the bones, and that is good for your joints. You know, it's um, it's good for your for your gut, uh, brain function. You know, skin, hair, all that stuff. So, how many do you drink a day? I try to consistently drink like about an eight to ten ounce cup a, a day. Okay. Um, you know, I just kind of treat it like a vitamin. Yeah. I'll try to drink it in the morning or yeah. just whenever I think about it. Now. When did the scene, and maybe it's always been, but the scene come on where now we want to go out and actually meet the farmers. We want to go out and see how the animals are treated. We want to have local produce come in. Has it always been that way, and I've just kind of missed that, or it just wasn't advertised that way, or has there been a transition to that that becoming more of a, a staple way that restaurants are doing things? Um, there's definitely been a transition. It has not always been that way. I feel like things started to shift in that direction when people started understanding that our food system is is somewhat broken in the sense that our diets are making us sick and so once people caught on to the fact that you know what you're putting in your body has a direct uh, relation to your your long-term health a kind of a light bulb moment went off and uh, it just kind of spread like wildfire. So that means, you know, restaurants are trying to uh, source more sustainably and locally. There's there's less processed foods going into menu items. Buying locally and in season, you're going to get things at the peak of their their flavor and nutritional value. And, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. And, it you know, and it has it's a much bigger picture than that, too. I mean, you're not trying to truck things halfway across the country so i mean there's there's a there's a big picture to look at why it's good to Mm -hmm. to eat fresh local ingredients you know with minimal processing involved and you know then you then you see the rise of farmers markets i mean they're all over the place now i mean st louis has great farmers markets right and take it a step further and and take a look at the meat industry and where it where it ended up and you know it's it's horrific so that you know that right there, I think has has helped the success of Bolliards. People have an option for clean, you know, responsibly raised meat that's raised on pasture. I mean, we've been to all the farms and we've been to all the processing facilities, so we have a very close relationship with with all of them. And 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 uh, people 
can be confident coming in buying meat knowing that that we know exactly where it came from now is that something that you went out to to solicit them and you kind of check them out or did they come to you and say hey we have this farm this is how we raise our animals blah 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 and we'd like to be considered to be having our animals you know butchered by you yeah well um we had to seek out a few of them i mean i had already established relationships with a couple of them during my time at sydney street so our farmer that raises all of our uh, pork and lamb i had had established a relationship with him at sydney street and we that's who we work with today uh we also work with uh, another gentleman who's in illinois triple s farms so we kind of alternate between between those two but in terms of beef and chicken we had to kind of go out and find these these folks with beef especially because we didn't really work with much local beef at sydney street um it wasn't as available as it is now and the the best way to do it would to be get to get a whole beef and there was just no room to house a whole beef at, at the restaurant uh it's very labor intensive it just didn't fall in line with with what we're you know the paradigm at at, uh, at sydney street so my wife and i had to just go out and old-fashioned just you know, get a hold of people, visit farms, talk to them about their practices, and then also just as important as, you know, where they have this animal taken to for its last day because that like I said, that's just as important as the beginning phases. You know, you could spend all this time and effort raising these animals and uh, all of it can be uh, ruined at the process. Right of at the end. Yeah, right, yeah. Once we found a couple of beef farms that we thought we were going to to go with, we would buy a side of beef from them. This was still while I was at Sydney Street. And we would get about eight folks to split the cost of it with us. And when Sydney Street was closed on Sunday and Monday, I would spend those two days breaking down this side of beef. And it would give me practice on cutting beef because I didn't have much practice cutting beef, mostly pork and lamb and smaller animals. And then it would also give us a chance to taste it and get other people's feedback on the flavor of it. And that would just kind of start the process. And we did that with a few different farms. And um, the farm that we currently work with now actually came to us after we had been open a year or two. And we currently still use them. They're Price Family Farms in Troy, Missouri. It's, it's amazing beef. It's definitely the It is beef amazing beef, had. I can tell you that. Well, I'm going to take your word for it, you know, but uh, <laughs> if Arnold recommends it, then I know that it's good because it's Arnold good. is truly a connoisseur. Yeah. You know, we shop at Bolliards. And so for our anniversary, I wanted to do something special. Rather than go out, I was going to cook. So I asked Chris, I said, I need a couple tenderloins. And man, he cut these, they, they were gorgeous. And having gotten beef and pork from him previously and other kinds, and lamb, knowing how to cook it is also very important yeah. because it's, there's, you don't cook it like you would if you bought beef at one of the big grocery stores. And they were just, they were perfect. They had such great flavor. I probably could have cut them with a fork, you know? And speak to that because, you know, pasture raised and how animals are treated and then when they come to you and you you have them it's different than if i go to one of the big chain grocery stores yeah. and grab something off the shelf absolutely talk about temperature talk about you know how you cook things differently yeah a big difference with our beef is it's dry aged so um we we get 
all the beef comes in as a whole animal once a week. So it's typically on average about 750 to 800 pound beef carcass. And that's all we have for all week. So we'll, we will run out of cuts as the week progresses. That's another thing too, that people should keep in mind is if you come in on a Saturday, we might be out of some of the popular cuts, you know, um, there's only so much of each cut on the animal, but with that being said, you can always call ahead and, and reserve things. But with our beef, beef being up to three weeks dryage before we get it <clears throat> really adds a tremendous flavor to the beef. And it, and it differs from grocery store beef because grocery store beef is wet aged. So it's going to have a different texture, uh, appearance, aroma, flavor, um, all that. It's going to be completely different. And, and ours will cook up a little bit differently. If it's in terms of if it's 100% grass-fed beef, which ours is not 100% grass-fed, it is given some some corn while it's out on pasture the last 90 days. Um, but a 100% grass-fed beef will cook up quicker, like I th- you know you had mentioned, um, just because it's so lean. There's you know there's not as much fat in there, mm-hmm. and you do have to be careful with that. You know, with ours, it's it's um, it's pretty marbled, so that it's not going to cook up t- too much uh, faster than than any other marbled beef. But the main difference is it's going to have a better flavor. You're going to get a better sear on it, you know, because of the dry aging process. You know, with wet aging, it's after the beef is processed, it's cut up into to primals and it's vacuum sealed in a bag. And it sits in that bag for, for weeks and months and it continues to wet age, which adds flavor to it. And, you know, it allows it to become a little bit more tender. But with dry aging, it's it's totally exposed. There's there's airflow around it. Um, the flavor of the beef concentrates, and you, it's 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 dry. So it's like I said, it's not it's going to get a better sear with a wet age. It's moist on the outside, so it's harder to get a good crust on your steak. And your temperature doesn't have to be as hot to cook your beef, correct? Or am I am I did I read something wrong? Um, I mean, no, I mean, it's it's all the same temperatures, you know. I mean, whether you're slow cooking a brisket, you still want to keep it around that 200, 225 degree range. Or if you're, you know, you're searing a steak, you still, you still want a really rocking hot pan to sear it. And this is what's great, Ellie. It's like when you go in there and you're not quite sure, like, oh, gee, I'm looking up on the board and that's gone what I wanted to get. And it's like, okay, so the question will be asked to you. What are you cooking? You know, here's an al- maybe here's an alternative. What recipe are you making? And and what's great is a lot of the guys there are chefs too, yeah. and so they will also. So have you thought about this? Or they'll listen to the recipe that you're making and try to understand exactly what the outcome you want, so you they can provide you with the right kind of cut of meat. Yeah, it's, it's great. It can be you know it can be intimidating walking into the store, you know, because most people aren't used to buying meat that way. You know, some of the older generations grew up with that, going mm-hmm. into your neighborhood right. butcher shop. You right. know, and, they, and they're this, that's how they bought meat. But and people from other countries, because when yes. I, you know, because when I lived in Panama, the little stores would always have this big side of beef. I think we talked about it in one of our shows. I walked in this little bitty kind of mom and pop store, and in the back there was this big half a cow yeah. that they were carving up, and that was like the first time I had ever seen that. Yeah. And this was truly like this was truly like a corner store. Yeah, yeah. you know. So people from other countries are used to that. Yeah, and it's yeah, and it's fun to talk to people like that that are used to it, and you know, and also locals that 
are we used to the you know the the corner butcher shop? It kind of brings back memories to them, and sure it's, it's it really neat to talk to them about that. But for the people who have never shopped like that, it's it's kind of overwhelming because you know, like you said, when you come to the shop, there's a big there's a big signboard that has all of our fresh cuts on it, and all the names of everything, and and a lot of those names up there people are unfamiliar with because right. in the grocery store you see the celebrity cuts, I call them, you know, the the ribeyes and the strip steaks and tenderloins and sirloins, but there's so much more to the animal. And uh, it's it's been our responsibility since day one to educate people on all these other various cuts and, you know, offer comparable substitutes for a cut we may not have. You know, if someone's looking for a skirt steak, we sold out a skirt steak this week, I'm sorry, but I've got a sirloin flap, which would be a great substitute. And then we, yeah. we kind of... Uh, inform them how to cook it, what what the texture's like, how to cut it, you know, because people are spending a lot more money on meat at Bollyards than they would at, you know, a grocery store or, uh, you know, a Costco or places that it's a lot cheaper. But you're getting what you pay for. It's better for you nutritionally. It's been responsibly raised, you know, that the animal was treated with respect. And you're supporting the local economy. It's right. doing so. never been frozen. Correct. Yeah, never been frozen. I was going to say, yeah. and probably not pumped up with red dye so that it always yes, looks juicy. Definitely you know? not. And yeah. no yeah. expiration date on it, right? Because right. like you said, when we're sold out, we're sold out. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Yeah. We'll talk uh, after the break about classes. And I was fortunate to go to one of the butchering classes where they laid down this big half of a hog that we'll get we'll get into that but one of the memories i remember of chris is there was uh, an activity it was uh, down at the four seasons in the big ballroom and there was this whole hog just laying there and all a lot of the chefs from around the areas had to make dishes that related to the hog or the people that sourced them and so you could go around and get all this wonderful food and then the highlight of the night was chris going after this hog you know was that a a koshan koshan right center stage you know and then they auctioned off the cuts it was it was really interesting fun event it was really interesting man you were going after that and i think he did this in record time he just this whole hog was just they only gave me an hour so i had to to do what i had had to do my best i had had a a, josh galliano was was uh was my sidekick and he helped me get through the whole thing but yeah it was fun it that's was, a, it was a, lot of fun. a memory i have of, of you just you were man you were intent on getting this thing done yeah. <laughs> it was a little intense yeah 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 i was a little nervous too that was that was a while ago there's several kind of hundred before, people there before the shop opened and uh yeah. and we didn't even know how we were going to open the shop at that point so this is just a great opportunity. I'm really learning from you, Chris, because I normally would not be the person, a normal customer of yours. Sure. But now that I know that you've got the bone broth, okay, yeah. now I will be. So yeah. there's something there for everybody. We he love does. the pescatarians, too. That's right. Yeah, they, okay. They, they've got a lot to offer, and we'll come back and talk about that. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We're talking to Chris Bolliard from Bolliard's Meat and Provisions in Maplewood on Sutton. And that's Sutton and what's the cross street there, Chris? Sutton and Hazel. Sutton and Hazel, right there on the corner. And great shop. They uh, are open. I'll just let you give the hours. Yeah, we're open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, and then Saturday, 10 to 6. 
And Those are good hours too, because that way you know people that get off of work late and want to come by and yeah, get absolutely. something to eat for dinner real quick. They can. There's no excuse. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You can call an order in, and you correct me if I'm wrong with anything of this, or you can email an order in. But you always want to be clear on. You guys want to be clear on what really the customer is looking for. Yeah, we we generally would prefer you to call. Um, you know, we, we'll respond. We resp- respond to the emails, obviously, but it's. Uh, it's just easier to just give us a call because we we keep track of several orders day to day, and so. So you you have uh, we've talked about beef and pork and and lamb, but you also do uh, several other things. You have some hand cut meats. You have some stuffed meats, sausages, sliced mm-hmm. meats, pressed and pulled house made. Talk a little bit about those and and what goes into those. Yeah, so um, you know the the. The beauty part about getting the whole animal is is all the the fun variety of of um, added value meats that you can make with them. So, like you mentioned, we have a huge variety of fresh sausages that we make, and we don't always have we don't have all of them all the time. So we kind of we'll do a ro- you know rotation of them. On a given day, you might see two to three varieties of fresh sausage in the case. And they're, they're everything from traditional, like, breakfast sausage and chorizo to real fun, you know, creative ones like a, like a mushroom and Swiss or a Philly cheesesteak or a coconut curry brat, kimchi sausage, stuff like that. We have a lot of fun with the sausages. Like you mentioned, we, have, we all have cooking backgrounds, so it's pretty much what we're talking about most of the time is food and, and, uh, and cooking. So. A little competition of the, the sausage, yeah, to, it's, uh, like which one do people are – they exactly. Really like. You know, it's like a it's like a blank slate. You know, it's a vehicle for flavor. It's sausages are uh, fresh sausages are a lot of fun. Oh, they make, are unbelievable. Now, yeah. what kind of herbs and spices go into the flavoring of, of a sausage? So, they all kind of start with a with a basic, you know, ratio of of meat and fat and salt, and then from there, it's just kind of whatever whatever flavor profile you're going for. Like our, our breakfast sausage, which we have every day, that's one of the ones that we we make all the time. It's pretty traditional. Um, it's it's all pork. It's got um, you know salt and black pepper. You know you'll see maple syrup or some kind of sweet element in in breakfast sausages. We use uh, cane syrup, so it's kind of a it's a it's a darker color. Almost looks like. Um, like a lighter version of molasses a little, little bit, but it adds a nice sweet element to the breakfast sausage. And then we uh, put, we fold in some fresh sage. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty traditional on the, on the breakfast. And you've got the sliced meats. What are, what are, yeah. So we make a, a variety of deli meats. So we'll make uh, roast beef, ham, mortadella, bologna, Braunschweiger, which has surprisingly been a very popular selling item. Porchetta de testa, which is a lot of fun. It's porchetta that's made with the pig's head. It sounds, sounds pretty crazy or off-putting to some people, but it's very delicious. Um, it's, it's essentially taking all the meat off of the pig's head in one piece, you know, trimming it of excess fat and glands, and then we season it rolled up real tight like a like a roast so it's in a you know long cylindrical shape and then that gets slow cooked overnight and then chilled down and then you know sliced cold so it makes a great sandwich meat or you can put it you know on like a meat and cheese board it's real good it's very rich but it's delicious wow. yeah i tell you you know you're making me think about when i was uh, growing up and we would visit our relatives in mississippi 
And this was back in the 50s when, you know, you, you really had those neighborhood type stores. Yeah. And I can recall them having things in a jar like pig snout yeah. and pig yeah. tongue and tripe and right. chitlins and hoof. You still use all of those? We do. We do use all those, but we don't. Uh, we don't pickle them and, and keep them in jars. Thank goodness, because the jar thing, <laughs> the jar thing was very yeah. off-putting. You know, yeah. as a child, you go in there and keep in mind that you're probably no taller than than you know the the, the counter and the jar. So here you are, like this, looking sure. into a pig snout, looking yeah. into a pig tongue. You know, that and wouldn't scare a little kid. It at all. would, you know. And then Grandma <laughs> says, "We're going to have that for dinner." Oh boy! Oh well, you know, I just don't think I'm hungry today. Yeah. Or tomorrow. <laughs> That's, why are you, then why are you a vegetarian now? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. That experience. Yeah, you and you know what? My mother or pescatarian. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know, you asked that question, but my mother used to work for the Food and Drug Administration here in St. Louis, and she tested meats that were sold oh. in the grocery stores. And she came home and she said, except for kosher, nothing is as it says on the on the yeah. you know, on the label. Okay, yeah. mom, that was all I needed. Yeah. You know, and but when what I'm listening to with you is that what is in the meat and is what is on the label is yeah. what it is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so um <clears throat> You know, obviously, we don't inject any of the fresh cuts with any kind of like dyes or additives, and 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 when the animals are on the farm, you know, they're raised without any kind of growth hormones or right. um, unnecessary antibiotics. They're they're given just what they should be eating. You know, the pigs are more of foragers, so their diet's probably the most diverse. You know, they're digging with tree roots and, and nuts and grubs and whatever they can really get their get their hands on. And beef is most of their diet. I'd you know. 95% of their diet is grass, but you know the last 90 days while they're out on pasture, they're hand-fed some cracked corn, and that, that helps out tremendously with, with the marbling. But in terms of like the sliced meats and the fresh sausages, you know we don't really have, have labels on anything. We're, we're a pretty small shop, and, and it's a variety of things. But if you ask what's in anything, we'll be happy to tell you what, what goes in everything. Um, we, you know, we don't use nitrates in our bacon and our fresh sausage. You know, there's two schools of thought on that. I mean, some people are very anti-nitrates and some people don't care. I, I eat them. I don't eat an excessive amount of them, but I don't, I don't particularly think that they're terrible for you if you eat them in moderation. In moderation, you know? right. Um, and we try to t use as local as possible in terms of produce, you know, if, like especially in the spring and summertime when produce is abundant, you'll see a lot of that stuff in a provisions cooler, you know, like uh, pickles, uh, fermented items, um, condiments, things like that. Right. Try to get everything okay. you know, as close as possible. Now, you you also have some classes that I, I think I alluded to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole, the half a hog is laid out there and you are talking about it there's like a small class, what is there? About 12. Yeah. And we're kind of standing around, and he's talking about the cuts because it's like you would think the, the butt is kind of on the hind end, but it's not. And so it's like trying to understand what cuts, the names of cuts. It's every every thing has its language. Okay, where is the butt then? Now you've got me curious. If it's not on the hind end, where is it? If, now, correct me if I'm wrong. It's up here in the shoulder area? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, the pork butt. Yeah. Por <laughs> yeah, I think the pork butt would be on the hind end. <laughs> it's up on their shoulders. Yeah. Like, what does this porker know? He doesn't know his, his <laughs> front from his end. Right. Yeah. You know exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Now I just learned something new. You know, every morning I get up and I say I'm going to learn something new today. I just did. That was the great thing about the class, and I was just trying to absorb all of these different kind of cuts. You know, the, you know where the loin is, but 
all those kinds of things. Why don't you kind of talk about what you do in the class, yeah. and then the people who go to the class, what they get out of it. But everything, you, you throw very little of the hog away. Mm-hmm. You use the ears, and I'm not going to get into that. I'll no, don't, do about the, don't yeah. talk about the snout and the tongue. And all oh, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so the, the class is about, uh, about two and a half, you know, up to up to three hours long, and on a on a uh, if we run long on time, but we throw a, a quite a bit of you know information at at the twelve people that attend the class, and as you said, it's a half a hog. We'll we'll talk about the farm it came from, you know, how it was raised, a little bit about you know the gestation period, and and then you know all the, you know its diet, and all the way how all the way up to how it spends its last day, and then go into when we get it. Before we start breaking it down at the class, you know what what people are looking at is w- what we see when it comes in. It's a it's uh, in two pieces. A whole hog is split in two, and we receive both both sides. And the head is remained intact, so we can do we have options to to do what we want with it, rather than just split the whole thing down the middle while the head's on. Now, what do you do with the ears? Okay, now that because you know so, we have the pickled ears and stuff you, like that. Too. You can eat the ears, you know, for sure. I mean, ears are delicious, but uh, you know, we only get about four ears a week uh, because of two. You know, we get two whole hogs, so those, unless they're sold fresh, we'll throw them in the smoker for a few hours and sell them as dog treats, and dogs ah, go crazy. Over okay, them. all right. Same thing with the skin. Majority of the skin uh, will get thrown in the smoker, and, and we sell that as dog treats. You know, you can make pork rinds with them, which are delicious. But we do that for kind of like special events, and we don't. It's a it's a big undertaking, so we kind of pick our battles with that and yeah. use it for other things. But you know, with with the shoulder, there's there's a, a variety of things that can be done with the shoulder. I mean, everybody knows that's a great barbecue cut. You know, it's good for smoking, you know, slow cooking and pulling. So now the shoulder is really a shoulder, but not the butt. Yeah. So the shoulder is comprised of two parts. <laughs> I prefer. I'm confused. I know it's it's it is confusing. Uh, the the so the the part of the shoulder that is considered the the Boston butt is uh, on top, so we're basically where the neck is, um, and then the bottom half, which is the half that is connected to the shank and the you know and the foot near the ground, that's the picnic, and they both can be cooked the same way. They just the, the differences are the the marbling is different and the the way the grains of the meat run and the length of the you know the grain of the meat is different. But you know, great for sausage. Um, there's a lot of charcuterie that's made with it, like a like dry curing, um, you know, to make for like sandwich meats and things. Further down, you've got the loin and the belly, and that's where all, you know the loin is where all your your chops come from. You know, you've uh, we'll separate it between the third and fourth rib, and then the ribs that are four through fifteen or so well, will become rib chops, pork chops. And then further down, when you run out of the rib bones, you still have the rest of the loin. That's the short loin. Um, and we'll make uh, pork chops out of those as well. And then the belly, which is attached to the rib bones, that gets turned into bacon. And you've got two, two, two kinds of ribs on, uh, on pork. You've got baby back ribs, and those are the, uh, the kind of shorter, squattier ones that are um, on the backside of your pork chops. And we don't ever sell baby back ribs because we sell bone-in pork chops. However, we do sell spare ribs, the other the other variety of ribs on pork, and those are the ribs that lay directly across the belly. And those are longer, not as thick, and we'll we'll sell those all day long. And they're either cut as a St. Louis style spare rib or just a spare rib. And 
this is confusing, but the only the only difference between the two is on a St. Louis style, the rib tips are removed, um, and it's basically just an extension of the you know the sternum. So you've got an extra little section of the spare rib called the rib tip. But if you cut that off and square it off, it's a St. Louis style. It's really not going to affect the flavor that much. It just depends on if you like chewing on the rib tips. Further down after the loin, you've got the sirloin, which is just like on beef. It's very tender, very flavorful. You can cut it into steaks or you can cook it as a whole roast. And you don't see, you don't really ever see pork sirloin in the grocery store. And that was really good. And it's it's a great cut. It's a it very uh, underappreciated cut, you know. And, and and the great thing about the pork that that we sell is you don't have to cook the heck out of it. You don't have to cook it well done. You know, you can you can cook it medium me, uh, medium to medium well, like you would a steak. You know, you know we encourage that. To, to cook it like that, you'll get more flavor and it'll be juicier that way. You know, especially a sirloin. So if you cook it well done, it's gonna be pretty dry. Yeah, because I remember my mom cooking it until it was crunchy. Yeah, it was it was dry <laughs> it on was the like inside. Bacon, huh? You know, it's got to be it's got to be white on the inside. You know, yeah. it's you know it's got to be cooked thoroughly yeah, because it's... you want to get rid of all the bacteria and all that stuff. And that's not not the, the issue. No, not at all. I think you know uh, your mother was probably afraid of trichinosis mm-hmm. and ah, it's just yes. not a it's not even a it's not even on the table with these with these hogs it's not even a, an issue i don't necessarily know if i would from a normal chain grocery store cook your pork medium rare i i wouldn't trust it as much but i would definitely stand behind you know all of our cuts of pork that are gr- you know grillers or right. pan searing you know you can cook it with a little color in there it's no no problem at all and then uh beyond the sirloin is is the ham which you, you think would be called the butt Right, right. I'm just totally confused here, but so I but I do tell you, I now know one thing. I know where the the phrase, you know, take get your off your shoulders. <laughs> you know, you remember how people say get your butt off your shoulders, but they use a different word that oh, starts yeah. with a. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> it could be. It could, it could, be. You know, think about it because that kind of you know how people cultural things and how phrases begin, and you don't know where they start. Yeah. Maybe they started from a butcher. That's what I'm thinking. Could be. You know. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Get your butt off. Your <laughs> right. Obviously, you all didn't grow up in the same culture I did because that was a regular statement. <laughs> Sounds like it would be a good uh, t-shirt. <laughs> you know, t-shirt. Don't give many ideas, Alex. I tell yeah. you, the next thing you know, we see everybody walking around town with that. Huh? I was yeah. like, oh, you heard it first heard on it In Tune. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so the ham. So the ham is, is what it is. It's the hind leg, and it's what you would use for you know like a cooked ham or a smoked ham that you would see in a grocery store or a deli and um it's we use it to make sausage we do have one hand cut sausage that we do call in dewey and uh, we use the ham for that um and our, the hams that we make at the shop are a little bit different than you're going to see at most places so they're smaller and they're boneless and we use we separate the hind leg into muscle groups so top round bottom round side round and we brine those for a few days and then and then smoke them with some cherry wood. So it's delicious, but it's they're going to be smaller. So they're going to range anywhere from a pound and a half to three pounds. And we just do it that way. It just it just makes more sense with the way the shop operates because, you know, one day we might use the ham for the fresh ham for uh, for sausage. And the next day we might use use it to make actual ham, you know, smoked ham. So we always break it down the same way so we have options. Right. You know. And you use the feet? 
Yeah, so the the feet or the trotters, there is a ton of of collagen in uh, in them. There's there's a little meat, and there's there's definitely you know dishes that you can create out of the feet, but it would be very labor intensive for for us to do those things. Um, so they they are great for stock, and uh, you know we we sell we sell fresh pigs feet to people who are trying to make their own. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, whatever doesn't sell fresh, we throw in our own pork stock. And if you go in the shop, Ellie, what's interesting is you can get lip balm, you can get hand lotion, or not, not lotion, but hand balm mm-hmm. that's yep. made out of fat yeah. that's rendered. And, you know, there's fresh eggs there. Oh, yeah, there's, fresh eggs. Yeah, lots of fresh eggs. Broth. Wow. Okay, so now there's two things that I can come there and get. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys make your own sauerkraut? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we love doing... Uh, fermentation um whether it's a a fermented sausage which will become a a salami you know Mm -hmm. like a hard sausage that's sliceable or whether it's vegetables you know cucumbers fermented turn into pickles that's a that's a natural kind of old school way of making a pickle rather than with vinegar we do both but you know a naturally cucumber is is fermented right and then sauerkraut is better for you too it is yes and then uh sauerkraut which is uh, fermented cabbage and then we make kimchi which is like the korean version of of sauerkraut essentially Hmm. um it's just got a lot more going on it's a little spice to it Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, like I said, it, it, as soon as cucumber season rolls around, we, we you're all over it. We're all over it. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things I had a friend from Detroit telling me actually just last night, he went to get um, a chicken that he wanted to roast, and he went in there and he looked and he says, "What is up with the size of this chicken?" Yeah. He was saying how the chicken was so big. And is that as a result of the hormones and things that are being put into? Because you know we kind of remember chickens as being. Just uh, like you could hold them in your hand yeah. now, and now you need like two hands to hold yeah. them. That's uh, that's a combination of of their the environment they're raised in, and their diet, and and yeah the any any drugs that they might be given. You know they're in a a factory farm is what they're called, or a concentrated animal feeding operation. They're they're these they don't they're not farms. They're 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 just these large 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 facilities that raise animals and feed them but they're they're in confinement so the chickens that are they're massive like you're talking about more than likely they didn't have any access to to grass or outside or sunlight or any of that stuff and they're um they're kept in very very small areas you know some some operations are worse than others but i mean on the extreme end of things they're they're in a cage their entire life and they they don't ever move and they're bred they're bred that way. So, um, you know, they have enormous chicken breasts on them. And, uh, you know, if they were to give access to outside and walk around, they wouldn't be able to hold themselves up. Oh, my you know? goodness. So, yeah, it's very sad. That and is it's, sad. Uh, it's, a, it's a horrible side of the meat industry. But, but yeah, that's, that's where you get these big, giant, unnatural-sized chickens, you know? Right. And we haven't talked about You guys have poultry. Yeah. Yes. We uh, we have we have great poultry from Buttonwood Farms They're in California, Missouri, and we get a lot of our eggs from them as well. And we get they're they're literally processed on a Monday and delivered on a Tuesday, so they're about as fresh as you can possibly get. And they the the size of our chickens on average are about four pounds. You know, they're uh, not Chernobyl chickens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're not Chernobyl <laughs> chickens. Yeah, you're right. Now, you know, when <laughs> I lived overseas, one of the things I learned was that um, people in other countries don't refrigerate their eggs. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was like very surprised by that. Yeah. A lot of times I was able to get eggs that literally were still warm. Yeah. Okay. That, you know, it's like the neighbor had chicken and plop and then she'd pick them up and she'd come and bring us fresh eggs and they were, but we never put the eggs in the refrigerator. 
Mm-hmm. But they say once you put eggs in a refrigerator, Don't take you them have out. to refrigerate right. exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. So yours are where? Our, ours are refrigerated uh, because they come to us refrigerated, and ah. that's that's the law. But however, you know, uh, we've been eating eggs long before refrigeration's been around, and that's how they've always been kept. You know, um, an egg is a perfect food. It's It comes out, and it has a coating on it, and it doesn't have to be refrigerated. They can sit on the counter until it's ready to eat. So why do so we chicken, refrigerate So you know, if you have chickens at home, uh, f- foods, you know... F- uh, Regulation, just, uh, kind yeah. of, kind of <laughs> I think right, just exactly. kind of overdoing it with, with food safety and the way that they're the way that they're produced on a large scale. That's just the systems that they've developed, you know. But another thing on eggs is the shelf life is incredibly long. Yes, you know, it the, is. The, and unfortunately, the eggs that you get in the grocery store are several months old. Eggs last wow. a lot longer than people think they do. The eggs that you'll get at Bollyards are are never more than a couple weeks old. And you can tell the difference too because you get these eggs, you know, that are the fresh eggs and you open them up and the yolk is orange, mm-hmm. orangey, and it stands up and the yes. white stands up too. Right. You know, and it's amazing the difference in taste when you've gotten an egg that's only a couple of days old and fresh versus what you get in the stores. And that's what I really appreciate about Bollyard's meat and provisions is everything is fresh when you when you cook it up you know it tastes different because it's fresh it tastes wholesome you know you're getting good nutrition benefits from it and Chris I'm grateful that you came in today this has been a great conversation yeah, yeah, I have My learned pleasure. so much My pleasure. and I to be honest with you I probably before this interview would not have come into your shop and now I realize there's numerous oh, reasons to come in there you know I can get pickles I can get sauerkraut yeah, I can yeah. get Fresh yeah, eggs, there's, there's definitely know? something for everybody there. Bone broth, yeah. So bollardsmeat.com, bollardsmeat.com, and they are over on Sutton in Maplewood. And just to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's different from the previous hour to this hour, I have a joke for a butcher shop <laughs> Oh, here. gosh, here we go. A man walks Hang into on. a butcher shop, and he says to the butcher, Oi, mate, are you a gambling man? And the butcher says, Yes, I'm a gambling man. So the guy says, all righty, I bet you 20 pounds you can't touch that piece of meat hanging above your head. So the butcher looks up. He looks down and back at the man. I'm sorry, says the butcher. I can't take that bet. Why not, says the man. I thought you were a gambling man. I am, says the butcher, but the stakes are too high. Aww. <laughs>